Hello and welcome back to Ibiology, the IBDP podcast, Revision podcast. Yes, that, that should, should not be your only source. Please also listen to Mr. Dunn. But anyway, uh, today we'll be talking about Unit uh, 11.3 and 11.4, uh, which is the continuation of animal physiology, which is ma- mostly just more human physiology. Uh, with some animals, other animals sprinkled in. Yeah. So let's start with uh, 11.3, the kidney and osmoregulation. So we are actually starting with um, a broader view on animals. Basically, they are either osmoregulators or osmoconformers. Now, osmolarity, it's the, uh, constant, it's the solute concentration. So, um, osmoregulators, they control their own solute concentration. Osmoconformers, they are weak little beta bitches and just do whatever the environment tells them to. <laughs> so, we're osmoregulators. Yes. And what, are, what is an example for osmoconformers? Um, c- certain, uh, f- certain aquatic animals. Oh. Um, so, da, 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 I believe it should probably give an example. Uh, I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, well. But, yes, like I, I believe things like sea slugs can often. Mm-hmm. But uh, generally, all terrestrial animals are osmoregulators because we can't conform to our environment. Our environment doesn't have a solid concentration because it's a air. <laughs> right. So... Uh, then it talks about the Malpighian tubule system. Let's go, girls. Okay. And boys. <laughs> the Malpighian tubule system is an insect, and essentially it... Is that uh, Malpighian? Nope, it's Malpighian. Oh, right, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, right, Malpighian. And it basically it carries out osmoregulation and removes nitrogenous waste. It's relatively simple. It's, so, uh, it's in uh, the abdomen, in the arthropods. And basically what happens is that uh, branching off from the midgut and the hindgut, there's different tubules because they don't have specific blood. They just have hemolymph floating around. Mm-hmm. So, um, and those tubules, uh, they actively absorb, uh, actively transport sodium, potassium, and uric acid into the um, tubules. And then they are, uh, f- and water follows by osmosis. Those tubules then go into the midgut. And then in the hindgut, some ions are rectified actively reabsorbed in order to form a uric acid paste. Ew, and then that is excreted. Yes. It's basically an ant's shit. Yes. Lovely. Okay, that's it. Do ants pee, uh, like pee? Well, no, because think about it. Uh, it's the uh, They just have the semi-solid uh, wastes uh, of the uric acid because we, we have urea, mm-hmm. which is secreted with our urine. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they have uric acid, which requires more work. But at the same time, is also less is also not toxic, and could also be secreted while the conserving water. But is uric acid not liquid? Oh, no, it can be. It can okay. be. Uh, it's a dehydrate. So when dehydrated, it is a paste. Obviously, if it's in solution, then it's wet. Okay, and it's dehydrated during this entire process of moving the stuff through the tubules and stuff. Well, no, the water is reabsorbed because they we don't in want the, it in those tubules. No, in the hindgut. Ah, okay. The water follows in via osmosis, and then we take it out again. Ah, okay. So, uh, but that's no, all for... We don't take it out. Well, the yeah. stuff in the ants, God takes it out. Yeah. <laughs> you make it sound like we have this kind of system, which we no. don't. We but have speaking a Speaking of, um, let's move on to... Uh, Are we not going to talk about, like, 
other stuff like ammonia, urea, uric acid. We're getting there. But shouldn't we talk about that first for people to understand what all the stuff is? I believe, yeah, okay, it's a bit, yeah, that um, the textbook and the study guide are structured a bit differently. Um, but yeah, sure, that's for, I, I mean, I sort of just mentioned this. Basically, uric acid, uh, it's a dehydrated paste. So, so with birds and insects, it's non-toxic. But it requires a lot of work to Wait, make. Wait, do birds and birds also have the Mopigian tubule system? No. But why? Ah, oh, okay. They just, but they also use uric acid. Okay. And that's why birds don't pee. Ah. But their paste can be quite liquid. Yeah, it's semi-solid. Right. Okay. Um, then urea is, so by some marine animal, terrestrial animals, marine fish, and adult amphibians, or what we also use, uh, it's semi it's less toxic. And it can be uh, secreted more concentratedly with less of a loss of water. So shit. No, no, it's Poo? it's also in, it's also in pee. Ah, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, because we don't secrete ammonia because ammonia is highly toxic, uh, and we're, uh, but at the same time, so only really um, freshwater fish or amphibian larvae can use ammonia properly. Why? Because they're surrounded by water. They can just release it into the water. And it will diffuse and yeah, become it's, less it's, toxic. I, well, it's just a very... It'll just cause it to be very... The, uh, to be have a very, very low concentration. Uh, but we can't do that. Why? I mean, the bo- world is big enough for us to shed uh, toxic Yeah, stuff. but uh, if, if we suddenly secreted ammonia from our skin... First of all, our skin would have to be semi-permeable. Uh, right. But n- there would be nothing to take it away from our skin. Mm-hmm. So if you have big fish tanks for fish uh, agriculture and stuff, yeah, that's that's that, part of it. Like if even if you just keep an aquarium at home, that's why you need filters, uh, and you need to circulate the water because otherwise the ammonia oh. is going to increase too much and all your fish will die. Oh no. Okay. Yeah, no, fish are some of the mis- most mistreated pets. Um, oh. Okay. Don't take. Don't 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 keep fish. And like, yeah. don't keep animals unless you can provide proper. So yeah, that's um, okay. Then we're about dehydration, no which we're going to talk about. But let's start talking about the kidney. So uh, on page four hundred eighty-seven, there's a basic structure. There's a cortex, there's a medulla, and there's a pelvis. The cortex is on the outside, medulla in the middle, pelvis in the inside. Mm-hmm. There's a renal artery that goes in and a renal vein that goes out. The artery is thinner. That way, there is a higher pressure going in, and the renal vein is thicker. And then the u- ureter carries away the urine. Wait, the renal artery is thinner? Why do we need more pressure in the kidney? Uh, so that uh, uh, basically, actually, well, actually, no, arteries are just thinner than veins. Like, because remember, we the blood pumps at a higher pressure. Uh-huh. Uh, so actually, no, with, uh, but then when we get to the afferent and efferent arteriole in the nephron, there it switches. We, but we need a high pressure so that we can... Uh, so that things will filter properly. Mm, okay. Because think about it, uh, think about what will filter something more effectively if you just slowly run it over or if you like spray it. Mm, fair. So, um, the, let's but let's com- uh, compare the composition of the blood between the renal artery and the renal vein. So um, basically, uh, toxins and other substances they're in the artery, not in the vein. Mm-hmm. And things like waste products, like urea, there's less of it in the uh, renal vein than in the renal artery. There's still some, but not as much. Because the renal artery brings the stuff in, then the stuff, then the blood 
brings the blood in with all the stuff inside then the stuff and the blood is getting filtered and then is getting goes out by the renal vein yes makes sense that there's less toxins in the renal vein yeah, than the renal artery okay. yeah but we still have to mention it um then thing uh, then also salt it the salt levels can be variable coming into the uh, renal artery but on the renal vein they'll always be um equalized they'll they'll always be standard concentrations Okay, we'll talk about it when we look at the function of the nephron, but basically... You mean that the salt concentration in renal artery and renal vein will always be similar? No, no, no. The renal artery, it might be variable, but then in the renal vein, it'll be at a standard concentration. Ah, okay. So okay. it might put it stump in, it might take it out. Yeah. And that's because of something we're going to talk about later. Yes, we'll talk okay. about the nephron, mm-hmm. which is now right now. <laughs> um, basically, uh, the glomerulus... Wait, talk about the nephron first, the overall structure, and yeah, then the, maybe the, zoom in. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, there, so there's the uh, the overall nephron. It starts in the cortex, goes down into the medulla at some point, but most of it is still in the cortex. Oh. Um, there's a diagram of it on, on page uh, 136 of the study guide, and that, it doesn't seem like there's one in the textbook, uh, except for one on page 492 but that's a bit more confusing than the one in the study guide so i would just use that one um there's models of the yeah diagrams of the nephron so uh basically the idea of the nephron is that we want to filter it we want to we want to no, we don't want to filter the nephron <laughs> we want to filter yeah, we, want we, want to fi- want to... we want to filter uh the blood that comes in through the renal artery exactly uh-huh so, and we want to divide it into, uh, into what we're going to excrete as the urine and what can continue going on in the renal vein. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a bunch of arterial surrounding it, but we'll get to that in a bit. Surrounding the nephron. The nephron, mm-hmm. yes. So, uh, let's look at the ultrastructure of the glomerulus. The glomerulus is the first thing that comes uh, of the p- first part of the nephron. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an afferent arterial and an efferent arterial. The afferent is where it comes in. The efferent is where it goes out. Efferent as an exit. Or just A comes before E. Yeah, or so. so. The afferent arterial is thicker than the efferent arterial because we want a high pressure. In the glomerulus. Exactly. So more blood comes in than can leave. Basically. Well, no, it, it comes... It still, it, obviously, you, otherwise there would be a buildup of blood. Yeah. But it's That's com- why I was wondering, like, wouldn't there be a buildup? Well, no, just the pressure just increases and it just goes mm, okay. with higher pressure. So, uh, basically, we're trying to take out anything that's too big and put in... Uh, we're trying to take out any molecules that are too big, uh, so only small molecules can pass through into the rest of the nephron. We want to take out any molecules in the blood. That well, are- yeah, specifically blood cells and proteins. They can continue. They can leave again, or what? Yes, we don't want. We don't want to have those in the urine. Right. So they leave right through the efferent arterial again. Mm-hmm. The way we do this is called ultrafiltration. Okay. Essentially, yeah, and also proteins should not be in urine. That's why if there's proteins in the urine, there's probably something gone wrong. Probably in the glomerulus. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's three parts of the ultrafiltrations. There's fenestrations. So basically, there's a very there's very small gaps uh, about a hundred nanometers in diameter. Mm-hmm. So fluids uh, can go through. Fluids that are not as big as F- fluids aren't as like fluids can flow through there. The individual molecules can go through. Mm. But uh, fenestration is where on this here, in here, right? Yeah. So 
do bloods and proteins fit through that? No. There, see, there's a red blood cell right there. All right. But other molecules are small enough to yeah. pass through. Exactly. So that's how we remove blood and proteins from the urine. Yes. Basically. Okay. Um, then the basement membrane covers and supports the wall of capillaries. So basically there are negatively charged glycoproteins that form mesh and stops plasma proteins. Mm-hmm. And then podal sites... They form inner wall. Uh, they form the inner wall of the Bowman's capsule. There's the Bowman's capsule and there's uh, the glomerulus. The glomerulus is kind of the t- t- uh, tubes that go around inside uh, the Bowman's capsule. Yeah, exactly. The Bowman's uh, capsule uh, that kind of fits hugs ar- hugs around it, around the veins. Uh, yes, um, around the arterial. Yep. So, and then the podocytes. Uh, basically, have finger-like projections that wrap around the capillary and the glomerulus. And stop anything from going through. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we move on to the proximal convoluted tubule. Uh, they basically selectively reabsorb useful substances by yeah, active what? transport. So, for example, things like glucose. Oh, yeah. So, uh, their structure is very similar to the intestine. They have the microvilli, they have their, a lot of mitochondria for active transport. They have uh, they have dense nuclei and there are like um, little like capillaries and stuff wrapped around the proximal community tubule, right? Exactly. That way we can transport it right into back into the blood. The uh, the 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 um, the glucose, glucose and other things that mm-hmm. are useful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So then uh, we've got the loop of Henle. Um, the loop of Henle is the thing that then goes down into the medulla. Right. The m- oh, okay. Ah, oh, there's a pretty good diagram of this on page 136, as you mentioned before. And it shows, like, which part of the nephron is in the cortex and which part of the nephron is in the medulla. Yeah. So the thing is that the medulla is very hypertonic. So the outside is a lot more concentrated than the inside. Why? It's just that because... The outside of the... So the the medulla is a lot more... Has a lot more concentrate has, ah. has higher solute concentration than the inside of the loop of Henle. Mm-hmm. Uh, why we uh, so it's important to know that the descending limb is thicker than the ascending limb, mm-hmm. uh, and in the descending limb, so when it goes down, all of the water goes out because there's a higher solid con- concentration in the medulla. Exactly. Ah, okay. Solute concentration. Um, then, so the descending limb is permeable to water. Mm-hmm. Then the ascending limb is impermeable to water, mm-hmm. but transports out ions. So, for example, sodium ions. But shouldn't they stay inside technically if the if the medulla is more high, like has a higher solute concentration? Well, this is when we go back up, first of all, and second of all, it's active transport also. Ah, okay. So basically, this is allows us to create a hypotonic fluid. Uh, inside the nephron. Inside the nephron, yes. Inside the loop of Henle. Exactly. Um, now, at the loop of Henle, it's important to mention, we're looking at other animals as well again. Uh, basically, uh, if what, if animals need to conserve more water, the loop of Henle is longer. Mm. So, for example, uh, desert rodents uh, will have um, very long loop of Henle's, with, so that's also very thick medullas, mm-hmm. uh, so they can take up a bunch of water again. Mm. Wait, water uptake happens where again? Um, because in the mid- we, we in the mid- lose water in the descending limb, right? So yeah, we lose it. But losing here means that we take it back up. Oh, we take water into the... Into no, no, the no, 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 no. 
What you need to know is that the nephron... Right, never mind, I'm being stupid. The oh. nephron produces the urine. Basically, okay, it's... Instead of taking things out of the blood and putting it in, basically what we're doing is that we just dump a bunch of blood and then we take things back out. Right, to end up with, with urine, which yeah. should be... Uh, which should simply take out the toxins of the body, right? Yes. And let as much as of the good stuff inside the body as possible. Yeah. So like, ah, yeah. Okay, but... Oh, that's why we want to also get the ions out of the loop of Henley in exactly. the ascending them. Mm, okay. But now uh, we get, uh, so I believe that then the distal convoluted tubules, it balances out anything that needs to be balanced out. That's what why. Do you mean? So basically, um, if, we're, uh, if we have too much salt or too little salt, then it'll balance that out by either making us excreted or making us mm -hmm. not excreted. Um, then, finally, ADH. In the distal uh, in the collecting duct, mm -hmm. um, the water could be absorbed. He said we want to keep the good stuff in, mm -hmm. but depending on our situation, water may or may not be good. If we're overhydrating or if we're dehydrating, we need a certain amount of water. Mm -hmm. um, basically, ADH is antidiuretic hormone. Mm -hmm. It stops us from peeing. Mm -hmm. uh, diuretic being peeing, so antidiuretic hormone stops mm -hmm. it. What happens is that uh, when, AD, uh, when we realize that, oh no, we need to conserve water, ADH is secreted. Aha, uh -huh. to stop us from peeing. Yes. So more liquid is, is kept inside the body. Yes. Well, the thing is, remember, the solution at this point is hypotonic. Meaning? That it's, uh, it has a lower solute concentration than, is, uh, than the outside. Uh -huh. So what happens is that ADH makes the collecting duct more permeable. So more stuff goes into the collecting duct? No, because the, because it's... Uh, remember, osmosis doesn't uh, change. Uh, it only uh, gives the movement of water. Uh -huh. So if the uh, fluid inside of the collecting duct is hypotonic, so there's uh, it has a low solute concentration, mm -hmm. and the outside has a high solute concentration, mm -hmm. the water will move from inside the collecting duct to outside into the medulla. Oh, yeah, makes sense. So if ADH makes it more permeable... More water will move out of the collecting duct. Exactly, and we will pee less. Meanwhile, if you uh, if it notices that, oh, wait, our blood is too liquid, uh, our blood is too watery, we need less, uh, we need less water, then it'll uh, send less ADH, the collecting duct will not be as permeable, and more water will be excreted. Nice, okay. So... Yeah, we talk so if you drink a lot, you pee more. Makes sense, right? Yes. And if you're in, if you're in the desert, you also pee less. You're yes. in the desert, you pee less. Ah. So, speaking of, uh, I'm just drinking some water. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you can analyze the urine in order to um, find out if there's anything wrong with the nephron. Uh, but if your kidney completely fails, then uh, there's two options, uh, hemodialysis or kidney transplant. Dialysis is basically what they do, is they take out all of your blood and they just run it through a filter. And the filter is acting as like as if the filter were the kidney. Basically. Exactly. But that would mean that you would have to do that like once a day, every single I, I day. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's once a day, but it's like at least th three times a week or something. Jesus Christ. That's why the superior option is a kidney transplant. Yay. But organs are really expensive. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's and that's why you should become an organ donor now. Sign up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, dialysis isn't a great thing. Yeah. But we're done with unit eleven point three. The yeah. nephron. I would just recommend try and learn it, just because that could very well be like an eight point question that they ask you. Yeah. So <gasps> on to sexual reproduction. Let's go. We briefly covered this in unit six point six. But we're now going to look at it further. So, specifically at oogenesis and spermatogenesis. Oogenesis. <laughs> yeah, okay, continue. So, um, basically, uh, in the... Uh, so, let's start with... Um, so, they both involve mitosis, cell growth, and two divisions of meiosis and differentiation. Uh, okay, can we first focus on one and then talk about okay. the other? Okay, mitosis is just... Remember, cells uh, cells making identical versions of themselves. Mitosis, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for um, women, this happens in the uterus. So when they are still in the uterus, when they are embryos. Right. Because women get born with like a set number of cells, uh, of egg cells. Specifically with primary oocytes. Mm -hmm. The thing is that um, there's uh, the egg cells, uh, the original egg cells, have or uh, have already uh, divide uh, have already divided once by meiosis or have started to divide by meiosis. They're oh, so they're all they've all finished meiosis one. No, they've not finished it yet. Ah. they've started. Those are called when uh, when they're in meios when they're in meiosis one. They're called primary follicles. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, basically. Uh, we start with primary, so during oogenesis, so for the first like decade of uh, uh, female's life, mm -hmm. um, there's uh, only primary follicles. Okay. However, then once puberty hits, uh, the primary follicles start to develop. Mm -hmm. And every single menstrual uh, cycle, a few primary fo follicles start to develop, and then an oocyte completes the first, uh, completes the first division of meiosis. So for like... If I start my period at like 11, say, yeah. for 11 years I have these primary follicles here yeah. that just hang around during what, some stage in meiosis one. Yes. And then when I hit puberty every month, one of them goes... No, several of them develop, but only one is released as an egg. And what do the other ones do that like started? They just they hang around for a little longer <laughs> as like and wait for them to I be released or what? Don't... It doesn't mention what happens to the ones that don't develop. It just says that a few develop. But don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we so if a few primary follicles start to develop, and an oocyte completes the first division of meiosis. Okay. So basically, when it finishes dividing, then it becomes an oocyte. Mm -hmm. Then the secondary follicle, mm -hmm. uh, basically, um, so a fluid-filled cavity develops, and then an oocyte star starts the second division of meiosis. Okay. Basic, uh, because the thing is, in oogenesis, the cytoplasm doesn't divide evenly. It, <laughs> because what? What? Cytoplasm? Because uh, one cell becomes bigger than another. Because on, uh, because for every uh, for every meiotic division, mm -hmm. only one egg cell forms. So only uh, so only one ovum forms. I am so confused. These developing follicles here. They divide by meiosis again, right? Yeah, they. So they get meiosis. four daughter cells. No, they don't. Why? Like I, because I just like I just said, um, because uh, for eggs, uh, for oogenesis, 
each meiotic division causes only one resulting ovum. And what happens with the other four? They the degen- uh, they uh, they become polar cells. Uh huh. Okay. Because so. Um, ah, here's a diagram on one hundred page one hundred forty one of the study guide. Yeah, there's, and remember, this is the four. Well, actually, they never finish meiosis too. Ah, uh, okay. That's um That's weird. So, um, yeah, and then after the ovum is ovula- uh, after the uh, ovum is ovulated, then the corpus luteum develops and then degenerates. Um. I'm so confused. We have the secondary oocyte here, then the third layer of follicles. Okay, what are you confused by right now? This situation happening here. Okay, so, like I said, cytopla- uh, so basically you've got your secondary oocyte. Which is where at this point here? It uh, Here, and it, okay. it continues. The secondary oocyte just means that uh, the oocyte, the egg cell, mm-hmm. is in um, meiosis too. So in prophase two, yes. Uh huh. But then uh, during, uh, but it only ever gets to metaphase two. And these three layers of follicle cells, they just uh, uh, they don't really matter that much, but they uh, they develop into the corpus luteum. Uh huh. Okay. So you get it now? Yeah. There's this egg release that then travels the down the fallopian tube. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at spermatogenesis. It's a bit simpler it's just a bunch it's basically names you have to memorize after you get the initial concept of because for them um there's first an outer layer of germinal epithelium cells because for spermatogenesis also starts at uh, there it just genuinely it starts as puberty and it just keeps going keeps going there's an infinite amount of sperm one can produce a man can produce yes a man can produce um so there's an outer layer uh, of germinal epithelium uh, germinal epithelium cells and they can basically divide endlessly by mitosis. They can make uh, the mitosis and this, means that... And this, and this, uh, germinal, uh, and this layer is where? Uh, in the seminiferous tubules of the testes. Ach du Scheiße. Okay. In the seminiferal tubules of the testicle. Sem- seminiferous. Seminiferous tubules of the testicle. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And they have this epithelial uh, epithelium cells, and these epithelium cells divide and make sperm cells. They divide to produce dip- more diploid cells. Then the diploid cells grow larger mm-hmm. and become primary spermatocytes, so meaning they are now mm-hmm. entering meiosis 1. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then the, sp- uh, the, the spermatocyte carries out the first division of meiosis to produce two secondary spermatocytes, mm-hmm. This is basically just meiosis with fancy names. Okay. The secondary spermatocytes uh, then ca- uh, carry out meiosis, meiosis two. 2 and produce two spermatids. Mm-hmm. And then the spermatids uh, become associated with the nurse cells, also Sertoli cells, and uh, in order to develop into spermatozoa. And wasn't he the Sertoli cells? The Sertoli, uh, this is the Sertoli cells. So, so if you're on page 501 of the textbook or 140 of the study guide, um, the large cell in the middle, that would be the Sertoli cell. And what do they do to the sperm cells? Uh, they, nurture, uh, they basically nurture them and help them develop into spermatozoa. So from one of those epithelium cells, we get two sperms. No, four. From and an epithelium cell. the other two? Remember, it says it produces two spermatids. The secondary spermatocyte. Yeah. The epithelium cell produces two primary uh, so uh, sorry it produces 
their primary spermatocytes that produce two secondary spermatocytes and each one of those secondary spermatocytes produces two spermatids mm -hmm. and then those two uh, and then those spermatids develop into spermatozoa okay so we have two secondary spermatocytes and two spermatids what do you mean Naya. yeah yeah because but, and but each of those secondary spermatocytes develops into two spermatids so one primary spermatocytes develops into four spermatids ah okay okay so we get four spermatids from essentially one epithelium yes. cell mm -hmm. okay. God. also also called spermatogonium oh my god <laughs> what the fuck Wait, those epithelium cells are called... I believe so, yes. Spermato... what? Spermatogonium. No, I'm just calling them epithelium. Well, actually, no, the, the epithelial cells that... The division... The, the uh, basic... No, sorry. The epithelial cells, they're just constantly dividing. The result of that division is called uh -huh. the spermatogonium before it goes and uh, grows into the primary spermatocytes. Ugh. Biology isn't difficult. It's just difficult because there's so much stuff okay so <laughs> that's um no. should we go through the structure of a human yeah that's where i'm getting mm -hmm. um it's on page five so looking at the diagrams there's on one on page 502 of the textbook and 140 and 141 of the study guide mm -hmm. of the egg cell and the sperm cell mm -hmm. so of the mature ones mm -hmm. so the sperm cell it's very long and thin basically it's only three micrometers wide this uh, uh the um the head the head of the sperm cell which is the thickest part there's an acrosome in the beginning which is an enzyme that helps break into the egg cell mm -hmm. um and a haploid nucleus and then there's a centriole with uh and then the mid piece mm -hmm. in the mid piece there's helical mitochondria so they go around the microtubules mm -hmm. and the protein fibers which go to the t uh, which basically make up the tail the tail is there to help the sperm move yes yeah then the egg cell it's a lot bigger than the sperm mm -hmm. um so obviously you've got your cytoplasm with droplets of fat you've got your uh, because the droplets of fat we need for nutrition mm -hmm. you've got your haploid nucleus and with two centrioles because mm -hmm. remember it's still in meiosis too it's a metaphase two. It's the, uh, so yeah, it's like metaphase two. Um, then there is the uh, a layer of follicle cells around uh, the egg cell. So remember what you asked: what happened to the follicle cells? Well, they partially go on mm. with the mature egg cell. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the first polar cell on the side. But generally, uh, an, uh, the important part for also the acrosome reaction is that there is the zona pellucida. Mm -hmm. which is a layer of gel glycoproteins and cortical granules those will become very important in a while um so then uh, spermatogenesis and oogenesis they obviously have similarities but they also have differences that's another like eight point question that they might end up asking uh, saying hey uh say the differences and similarities in oogenesis and spermatogenesis mm -hmm. but now let's talk about polyspermy how do we stop m more than one sperm from uh, fertilizing Entering an egg. Mm -hmm. So essentially, there is uh, fertilization happens in a uh, series of steps. First, um, once a sperm gets through the follicle cells, uh, an acrosome reaction happens in which 
the acrosome of the sperm reacts with the zona pellucida. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the uh, uh, then the uh, haploid nucleus of the cell uh, of the sperm cell goes into the um, egg cell, and the cortical granules go uh, react with. Uh, so there's exocytosis of the cortical granules mm -hmm. uh, of their contents, and they harden the zona pellucida. To prevent any other sperm from coming in and fertilizing mm. it. Smart. Yeah. And then the two have. How does the sperm know that it has to shed its like tail and stuff? It doesn't it's, it's, no, it's not it a thing that it knows, it just happens chemically. Oh yeah, Ollie is back. Um, <laughs> basic uh, yeah, the, the it just the haploid nucleus goes in and the tail sheds. Okay, we stand. <laughs> I feel that. Um and then uh, and then it can go and then the um and yeah, and then mitosis happens where basically it can now finish going through metaphase with the new haploid nucleus. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the acrosome reaction is one way. As, so, again, the, uh, fa uh, the fact that there are several things to. Uh, so, obviously, it's very hard for the sperm to get in. Mm -hmm. So, the penetration. Uh, so penetration of the membrane, the acrosome reaction, but then, of course, also the cortical reaction. Uh, stops uh, anything from anyone else from coming in. Yeah. Any other sperm from coming in. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like my neighbor's gonna knock on the egg cell and be like, hey, can I come in? Yes. I, I hope mean, so at least. I mean, your neighbor's not coming into the sperm cell either. Thank God. Mm. The egg cell actually. <laughs> you are my neighbor. <laughs> True. I am not uh, coming into your egg cells. I'm not interested. That does very good. I, I would not fit in your egg cells anyways. Mm. Anyway. Not to call myself fat, but like... <laughs> hmm. Egg cells are 110 micrometers, so just as a size comparison to the sperm cells. I realized I didn't mention that earlier just now. So then, uh, there can either be internal or external fertilization. Mm -hmm. So obviously what we do is internal, mm -hmm. uh, but some, uh, for example, fish uh, would have um, external fertilization. Wouldn't a test tube baby also be considered an external fertilization? I guess yes. so, yes. Obviously, there's drawback advantages and disadvantages. For sure. I can imagine this being an easy, like, six point question asking for advantages and disadvantages. Does, uh, does the advantage of with internal fertilization you get to have sex count? No. <laughs> because, uh, because that's confusing cause and effect. Mm. The reason but it is. But it is the reason why it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, reason, I know, but the reason why sex is enjoyable is because it leads. But it's to an it. extra thing that is enjoyable that gets added by having internal fertilization. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so for internal for, uh, fertilization, um, there needs there it requires breeding seasons. Um, there's um, and obviously, it the uh, the children are also more protected. Wait, it requires breeding seasons, or like it requires breeding to occur simultaneously. So it occurs both. So both the male and the female are simultaneously up for making babies. Mm. It also allows for mate. It also allows for more direct mate selection. Why um, you do this? He just stole some of her bubble tea. Um, because I brought you this bubble tea. True. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, and also uh, in so internal. You get to protect the uh, child more. You get to directly select your mate. Uh, but there, it also requires breeding seasons. Meanwhile, for external fertilization, well, you don't have to care for the children. <laughs> you can just yeah. make a bunch and then never bother with and then them again. Leave them. Yeah. yeah. 
And obviously it has in the drawbacks of not having the other things. They, uh, um, to quote our uh, biology teacher, babies make for a nice, succulent, juicy snack. Uh, so <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're more likely to um, be attacked if there's no one to watch them. And yeah. They, I mean, technically we could just eat the baby after it's born too, but... We could, but it wouldn't be very... That yeah. would not be the most evolutionarily smart thing to do. Could you also say that external food fertilization has the benefit of having like a lot of lot more of offspring? Well, you need yeah. all that offspring to yeah. um, counteract them just being eaten. Yeah, yeah, fair. but basically, yeah. Hmm. Okay. You don't have to also less okay. resource intensive. Yeah. Mm. So uh, next, the implantation of the blastocyst. So after a bit of my uh, mitosis has occurred with the embryo, it's called it, a blastocyst. It forms a blastocyst. Wait, we're talking about after fertilization as yes. well. Yeah, this bitch basically. This bitch. Okay. Well, no, no, no. That's still an embryo. This is a blastocyst. A blastocyst Sorry. is when there is a bundle of cells and it has formed uh, a hole, basically. Mm, wait. What I've called an embryo for my entire life is actually not an embryo but a blastocyst. Well, no, like it becomes... Usually what you call an embryo is a fetus. Yeah. Embryo, blastocyst, fetus, baby. Yes. Yes. Fetus. Fetus. <laughs> Fetish. Okay. No, what? <laughs> so, That's why it's called fetus deletus. <laughs> yeetus, yeetus, deletus, the fetus. Oh, boy. Talking about <laughs> not getting cancelled. Um, the So, basically, we need to implant the blastocyst... In, uh, into the wall of the endometrium mm-hmm. uh, so that actually the pregnancy can continue. Mm-hmm. So basically this is because uh, we want uh, the we want the nourishment from the mother. Mm-hmm. And the nourishment is in the lining of the uterus or what? Yeah. Mm. Well, no, not exactly. It's the placenta. Uh-huh. So it's basically the connection to the mother. Connection. Basically, yeah. the uh, the uh, HCG is released from the fetus and later the placenta, like we talked about in our last episode, which recorded about an hour earlier. <laughs> um, it's secre- and prostate cancer. And prostate cancer. HCG uh, secretes progesterone during early pregnancy. Basically, uh, so co- HCG stimulates the ovary to secrete progesterone, and progesterone maintains the uterine lining. Yes. Maintains the uterine lining. Congrats on the dude who doesn't have an exam in five days for knowing that better. Um, well, it's um, uh, the concept on which some like birth control pills work. Basically, it tricks your body into thinking that you're already pregnant, so you're just like, no ovulation, we, we are already pregnant. No. That's why, you, that, that's why you get your period if you don't take it in time, because it's just like, oh shit, we're not pregnant, time to flush this shit out. Hmm. Yeah, it's a cre- it, weird. Okay. So, um, but that's also with the HCG why we can test pregnancies. Um, then the, uh, but finally it's the placenta. The placenta, you might have to know about how the structure helps to contribute with its function. Basically, there's, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, capillaries in there. It has a large surface, uh, causing large surface area to volume ratio, allow for allowing for a lot of exchange between the placenta. Uh, it's between the fetal blood and the maternal blood. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what actually changes? Well, the a fetal blood gives carbon dioxide to the maternal blood. Uh, the maternal blood uh, diffuses oxygen into the fetal blood. Um, and also, the facilitated diffuses glucose into the fetal blood. 
The fetal blood gives out its urea to the maternal blood. So basically anything the baby does not need is heated and anything the baby needs is given. Like Yeah. Mm. Uh, then, for example, also an- antibodies are put in by endocytosis and uh, water also exchanges both ways, as well as hormones. They also exchange both ways. And alcohol and drugs. Yay. Although it's made mo- mostly it- wa- although it's mostly one way. Mm. Like as in... Um, the fetus won't be taking any alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So that's for the placenta. Also helps to release hormones like estrogen and progesterone. Uh, basically... That way, again, we maintain the uterine lining. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, the corpus luteum would usually secrete this, remember? Mm-hmm. But uh, now it's no longer needed because the placenta is doing enough of it. But at this point, there is a chance of miscarriage mm-hmm. if it fails, if the switch over fails. I mean, isn't there always technically a chance of miscarriage? Yeah, but, it, but like at this point, the chance is increased. Yeah. And then finally... The role of hormones in parturition, which is basically a fancy way of saying birth. Let's um, go. Basically, there is a um, positive feedback loop between estrogen and oxytocin. So, there is an, um, the estrogen and progesterone levels grow, 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 until they suddenly drop uh, at the end of pregnancy. This co- and So, this initially... Um, uh, so, oxytocin is instead secreted. Now, oxytocin starts to stimulate contractions. Wait, is that a positive feedback loop? Not yet. Mm, okay. Oxytocin, just started. Mm-hmm. oxytocin stimulate contractions in the myometrium, so in the middle layer of the of the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those uh, are detected by stretch receptors, which signal to release more oxytocin. And so here you might be able to see the positive feedback loop. Oxytocin causes the contractions, and then the contractions are detected, and the detections uh, indicate to the pituitary gland to do more, uh, to release more oxytocin. Kannst du das mal ganz kurz repeaten? The pitur- well, it's fine because it's a feedback loop. I can loop yeah, it uh, uh, <laughs> More loops. So, the oxytocin is released, mm-hmm. causes contractions. Wait, oxytocin is released by, by the, the by the pituitary gland. But it's due to this drop of estrogen and progesterone. Yes. Mm-hmm. The oxytocin is released by the pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. It causes uh, the oxytocin causes contractions. Mm-hmm. The contractions are detected by stretch uh, receptors, mm-hmm. and the stretch receptors signal uh, to the pituitary gland to increase mm. oxytocin secretion. Okay, F- positive feedback loop. So mm-hmm. basically, it makes it it makes them more frequent, more vigorous. That's why if you've ever seen anyone give birth. Uh, or, or seen it in a movie. Or seen it in a movie, or seen like heard about it in the media. You'll notice that the contractions start off slowly, and then they become stronger and stronger and stronger until you lie uh, lying there in bed screaming and trying to push the baby out. So actually, a lot of time, the births in movies and stuff are a little bit exaggerated. Like my mom told me. That most of her uh, like female friends didn't actually like proper scream during yeah, their obviously. pregnancies and stuff. Mm, depends. But no, it obviously depends. But like, yeah. But like, it, it definitely hurts a lot. Yeah. Um. So. Then usually, things rip open like. Yeah, but I think in eighty percent of women, um, things rip open pretty majorly. Sometimes I pull the like anus. What? No, don't say this to me. I want children. <laughs> So we'll have fun with the tearing. 
Well, and you also, uh, and most women also, uh, and I think it's almost always uh, they poop the, uh, they poop themselves as well. Oh yeah. I mean yeah, if you're present. Yeah. You're yeah. present everything. <laughs> That's like one of my major fears, not the pain. It's just like I don't want to shit myself. Well. Also, I don't, I don't think that's that big of a problem. Also, in case if you're wondering what that tearing sound was, it was not her giving birth. It was her. <laughs> oh my god! If, you, if, if that's how, if that's what that sounded like, and you were just casually <laughs> laughing and talking <laughs> while it was happening, that would be a bit concerning. It's just she was just uh, taking off the lid of her bubble tea. Anyway, so basically, the cervix dilates uh, because of the uh, when the muscle fibers relax, and then. Uh, and then the amniotic sac bursts, so that's why uh, when people uh, say talking about um, breaking of water, yeah, the water breaking, and then the uterine contractions, for, uh, usually over hours, then push the baby out. And then I was born in like half an hour. My mom had a really good time with me. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the best of time. <laughs> so she she broke her personal record. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she did. Okay, um, and that's basically it. That's hey. it for unit 11. Nice. So, um, ew, usually this be the end, but we skip unit I 9. I will dab however much I want to. Usually, we, at this Shame point, we would go... I brought you bubble tea. Be thankful. Usually, we, at this point, this would be the end, but we skipped unit 9, so we could transition from unit 6 to unit 11. But yeah, instead uh, we're gonna next episode come for the last episode come back hopefully the last episode unless we have to split in two, come back to plant biology and talk about that. But for now, this is the end, uh, and see you this tomorrow. Is the end. <laughs> Goodbye.